morning. My name is Bill Gregory, and I've lived here almost 25 years in the Czech Republic with my family. That was my wife, Lori, and I'll be talking about her more later. <laughs> but um, I'm excited about being here. I mean, I've, I've passed this island hundreds of times, and it wasn't until the last few years when I've been going. I've gone to a Czech church, and in the last few years, I've worshipped down here on the island. It's always exciting time I looked at the temperature and saw it was going to be 30 and I was a little worried but it's really kind of pleasant to me especially from someone being in the south where it's always hot in Tennessee and um, but I was thinking maybe next time we it'd be great if we had a plan B because if it was really hot the metros are really cool I wonder if we could like meet in like a in a metro that'd be fun we've had some great pictures of God's love today. We've had a drama and we've had a baptism and, and I'm going to be talking about a wedding. But if you would have asked me if you'd have asked me when I was a teenager if a wedding was a great picture of God, I would have probably gone, "Are you kidding me?" Because my picture of weddings were really narrow. I went to a handful of weddings when by the time I was like 18, three of them were my sisters and they all pretty much were the same thing. You would go to church you would squat, be in, this, in the big hall for 45 minutes where they would get married. And then all the guests would then go into what was called the fellowship hall, which was not really exciting. It was, and they had some flowers thrown up. And then the food was basically, there would be two long tables joined in one table where a wedding cake was. And both sides of the table had some mint, some really bad cookies, some punch, and the punch was like fruit juice, and if it was really good, it had sherbet in it, like ice cream in it. That was big time. And then the cake. The cake was like a plain white cake that was dry, and the icing was equally unflavorable. Okay? Now, fortunately, people started noticing this in the South, and they started doing this thing called a groom's cake. This didn't happen till later, but I was very excited about it because it was usually a chocolate cake, and that was the one everyone ate. The white cake, the pretty white cake, was more just for the show so they could show that they had a pretty white cake. So you can imagine when I was told by my parents this Saturday we're going to a wedding, how unexcited I was as a teenager. Now, all this changed when I met my wife. Okay, we start dating, and then we—I asked her to marry me, and then, she, and surprisingly, she said yes, which is just a big shock. And then we started talking weddings. Now she is from the Philadelphia area. I am from Tennessee, Southern Baptist, very conservative church, and she was going to a Presbyterian church, and she was surrounded by a lot of Italians. So their ideas of weddings, where she was from, is very different. And I was shocked to find out that the wedding would start at about three o'clock, that we would have the service, and then we were going to go to a whole different location, not this kind of boring hall down in the basement of the church, where we would have a sit-down dinner followed by dancing, and there would be a bar there, okay? Now, I'm Southern Baptist, where we don't, we don't dance, okay? And we don't really drink alcohol. So I was kind of like in kind of a, I was in shock that this kind of thing happened. Uh, 
I just thought my view of weddings were what weddings were like all over the world, okay? And then you see movies like Fiddler on the Roof and you go, well, that's different. That actually looks like it could be enjoyable. Or you start seeing, I've seen a lot of wedding movies since I was a teenager and they actually looked enjoyable. But my, the weddings that I grew up were not fun. Um, now, the other thing was that kind of concerned me was the dancing part because I found out that we weren't going to be um, that we were going to be there until the last guest left. Whereas when I grew up, the reception was the, the wedding couple usually were taking pictures while we were mingling, eating bad cookies and horribly bad cake. And the punch was good. It was good if it had sherbet. And then they would kind of come into the hall, cut the cake, basically make an appearance, and then they were off. Okay. Now, when I found out that I was, I kind of thought, okay, we'll do this dance thing, which I'm not really excited about, but I was thinking, we'll do the hokey pokey and I'm out of there because really, I mean, my thoughts were more on the honeymoon. So I really wasn't excited about sitting there for till midnight or after, which is pretty much what we did. But my wife assumed me that if I wanted a honeymoon, I would dance more than the hokey pokey. So I did. And since I wasn't paying for the wedding, it's like, eh, whatever. But in our story, we have a very different um, picture of a wedding, a wedding that I would like to go to because this guy is talking about killing a fatted calf. And from the South, that sounds like barbecue. Okay, and I'm like, I'll be there. So let's read, let's look at the verses here. But let, let me give you a little bit of context first, sorry. Um, right before this, Jesus had just came into Jerusalem and it was Palm Sunday where they had just announced him as Hosanna, high king, your king. They're laying palm branches on the ground. People are throwing their coats, I mean, waving palm branches and laying their garments and he's riding a donkey as a king would ride into Jerusalem that had just been crowned. And then the next day he goes into the temple and basically cleans it out and says, this is my father's house. This is a house of prayer. So he's not only taking a kingly authority, he's taking a spiritual authority as well. And then he is now met by the spiritual leaders who are going, hold on now, big boy. You can't, what are you doing here? What are you, that, you just can't do that. As if that wasn't enough to show that he had the authority, he had just healed the blind and the lame. So if he doesn't have authority, who does? And so they're coming in asking questions, and Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story. And he tells the story of the wedding. So that's where we are. First verses, let me read a couple of verses here. And what's great is Jesus talks in parables. You know, he talks about things that are real. He doesn't say there were unicorns flying through the air, shooting rainbows out of, their, out of their eyes. You know, I mean, he keeps things very real so people can relate to it. So he talks about a wedding. And he says, The king, Jesus spoke to him, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared, prepared a wedding banquet for a son. He sent out his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. So I can imagine if you were the people listening to this story, you would go, unlike me when I was a teenager, you would go, oh, weddings. I love weddings. 
That's just so great. I mean, this it's, you might get warm fuzzies and you go, this is the kind of story I've been waiting to hear. And then he says, he sent some, and this is very common, that they would first send an initial invitation basically saying, hey, there's going to be a wedding this, let's say this Saturday. And the, so the people would get ready. And then it says he sent the servant out again, which he would do on Saturday to say, hey, I've been cooking, you know, not the king, he's not cooking, but I've got all the people cooking, the food's ready, so now you need to come. And what would happen is probably the lowest of the, the people who were invited would be more punctual, and then the people that had more stature in the community would come a little bit later. So that was, this is very common what he's saying. But then the unthinkable happens. It says, he says, then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. I mean, this is all great. They're getting warm fuzzies. But then the unthinkable happened. It says, But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. Now, It's interesting that the first two people um, basically just ignored his, his invitation. Um, like I said, I've been in the Czech Republic since 1992. I was in Vienna a year before that, so it'll be 25 years this September that I've been in this area, mainly in Prague. Um, and I've, I look at these two responses, very typical of what I deal with when I deal with Czech people. I mean, you invite, you tell them stories about God and they basically said, no, I'm, I'm gonna go out. I have no, no interest in doing this at all or even listening to you. Um, I compare it to, let's say I, and we're on this beautiful island surrounded by water. Imagine if I laid in the ground and I told you there's no river there. I can't see it, I can't touch it, I can't taste it, I can't smell it. Well, maybe you can smell it. I don't have a really good sense of smell. Some people say it smells a little funny right here. But um, I can't smell it. And you can come up here and try to convince me that there's a river here. But I, from my senses, I can't do it. And I've often been told by Czechs, if I see God, I'll believe him. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that's that's, there's so many things that have, that can tell you that God exists and you're having a very narrow picture. And God has chosen ways that he's going to reveal himself to you and you it sounds like you've blocked them off and not even given them a chance to work. Like you could look, somebody could say, can't you see that bridge over there? And I could go, well, yeah, I see the bridge, but that, you know, that could be over a field. You know, there could be a little ravine there or something like that. And you could maybe see the heads of the people on the boats going by and I go yeah yeah I don't think those are boats I think those are people maybe on bicycles you know they could be tandem bicycles or something like that and then you could have people splashing up water maybe if I looked over I could see it and I go you probably have a bucket you know you're just throwing up water I mean I'm I'm very limited in what I have done what or what I'm able to believe yet the marriage says that God sent out messengers to invite him to invite these people and I think about Czech history and I think of the messengers that have been sent and 
Two of them we just had holidays about, Methodists and Hus. And then there's two more that are incredible, um, like if you had four main guys in Czech history, you would use Jan um, Kominsky and, and Karel Str uh, Charles IV. Karel IV. And um, I don't know how to do that in English, Charles IV. That just doesn't sound right. Karel Stritti. And so um, when you look at these guys, and I was asking some Czechs that I knew, tell me what you learned in school about these guys, like Jan Hus, for example. And they would say, well, he was just this political kind of religious reformer that that changed things around. And, and I'm like going, well, did you ever talk about his faith and why he did what he did? And they go, no, why would, you know, that's not, that doesn't seem important. And you talk about Methodists. And I was like going, okay, so what did you learn about Methodists? And they were like, well, he brought in a, a great change in civilization. Like before he came, it was, it was very barbaric and he brought in like written language and things like that. And I was like going, do you, well, why did he do that? And they were kind of at a loss for words for why they did this. And I was like going, okay, Charles or Karel Stricke. And, um, and I was like, so what did you, you know, what do you know about him other than he's the patron saint of the Czech Republic? And they said, well, he was, he was a great king. And I said, well, Interestingly enough, you know, when I went to Karlstein, the castle down the river, take a right, um, it's an incredible castle that was built for several reasons. Two, uh, one of them was they wanted to guard the crown jewels. But another reason why they built it, it was kind of a no-nonsense castle. They did not allow women in it. And it wasn't just for the defensive purposes. It was for Karl Stritti to go down there and have kind of a retreat where he could get away and be alone with God. And in one of the rooms off his bedrooms, there was a very small room that was a prayer room. It wasn't fancy. It was very plain. It wasn't like if you've ever been in there, there's a, there's a beautiful chapel with semi-precious stones. And you think, oh, what a great place to pray. But they said oftentimes Carl Sturthy would be found if they didn't know where he was. He was praying on his knees in that very simple little room. He was a man of great faith. And then you have Komensky, who, I, when I asked about them, I said, what did, the, what did Komensky do? And they said, oh, he's the father of modern education. And I was like, well, okay, tell me, is that all you got? I mean, is that really what, really the main thing that you know? I said, they said, yeah. I said, I said, did you know why he changed the face of education? They go, I said, it's because he took so seriously the verse that we are made in God's image that he wanted to bring education to everyone. Boys, girls, and he changed the face of education because of his faith, because he loved God so much that he had, he had, they had accepted this invitation to the wedding. They didn't ignore it. And because they accepted their invitation and they followed God so passionately, that they change the face of what you see all around us. But the Czech people will go, well, this is just, this would have happened no matter what. Well, I mean, you can see evidences of, of Karl Stricke built the hunger wall on Petstein Hill. And he did it because he wanted to feed the poor. It really didn't have hardly any defensive strategy whatsoever. You go over there in Bethlehem Chapel, 
is where Karel Stritti decided he wasn't going to preach in Latin. He was going to preach in Czech because he wanted the Czech people to hear the gospel in their own language. And when they did, they responded. There was a revival here because they got to hear the good news of Jesus Christ in their own language. Kominsky changed the face of education. We have so many schools around here doing great things because of his faith. Because he followed God so passionately that he was willing to give up his check home and he had to move out. Okay. And then you have Methodists who left and became a missionary and changed the face of Europe because of his faith. Because of he followed, followed God. Next verse that I want to read, it says, Now, those are the ones that ignored him, and those are people that I would describe as people that hear the good news and don't and don't do anything about it. But then you have verse six and seven. It says, The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. And if you were a religious leader and you heard this part, you probably were really mad. Because they, the Jewish leaders were often reminded of all throughout Jewish history of how they treated their prophets. And especially Jerusalem, how they killed them. And they ignored the fact that they were men of God and did their own thing and killed the people that God sent. And, and Jesus is reminding these people, this is exactly what's happening again. God is sending out his messengers, and you are mistreating them. Jesus just came into the city, and people are crying out, Hosanna, waving palm branches. He goes out and says, this, this house of God that's my father's, is not a place of business. It's not a place of profit. It's a place of prayer. It's a place where people are supposed to come and get to build and strengthen their relationship with God. And you've, you've made a mockery of it. And he cleaned it out. And as if that's not enough, he healed the blind and the lame. And here they are standing right before the Son of God. And they're wanting to do the same thing they've done all along is mis mistreat the prophets. And God's not saying that. I mean, Jesus is not telling the story so they'll get angry and go, I can't believe he said that. I mean, he's wanting to change their hearts. He's giving even these guys that have made the, their house, the house of God, become what it was. He's wanting them to change their lives. He's giving them an opportunity to go, I don't want to be that guy. I want to accept the invitation and go to the wedding. But unfortunately, that's not what happened in the story. And we don't know if we, I mean, we can only hope that some of the spiritual leaders heard this and they changed. wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go in the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled. So he goes off 
Because the feast isn't going to stop because the messengers were mistreated and some of them were killed. He sent out more people because he wants everyone to come into the to the feast. In 2 Peter 3.9 it says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to come to the wedding feast. And thankfully, that includes the good and the bad. And I'm more thinking about the bad because that means I get to go to the wedding feast. I'm invited. And so he, he says this. Yet so many people will say, will, will treat this like in verse 5 and 6 where they go, they, they ignore the, the invitation. And I was reading a book for the past couple weeks. It's called Cuba. And it's an American spy military thriller where, written probably in the 70s and 80s, where basically America saves the day. But um, not that I want to read that part, but I do want to read this part. And it kind of, when I was reading this, I was thinking about the invitation. And it's talking about a Cuban fisherman who is who was trying to escape Cuba and go to America, and his boat was sinking. And it says... The old fisherman remained silent, not really listening to Ocho. Ocho was the guy that was on the pump, who never stopped pumping, but thinking of his own life, of the women he loved, of the hard things life had taught him. He would die soon, he knew, and somehow that was all right, a fitting thing, the proper end to the great voyage he had, he had through life. Life pounds you, he thought, knocks out the pride and the, the vim of life or the vigor of, or the vigor of youth. Live long enough and you begin to see the big picture. See yourself as God must see you, as a flawed mortal speck of protoplasm whose fate is of little concern to anyone but you. You work, eat, sleep, defecate, reproduce, and die, precisely like all the others. No different, really, and the planet turns and the stars burn out, both quite indifferent to your fate. I'm reading this and I'm thinking about this sermon that I'm about to give about how God wants to offer us life and how he wants to offer us life abundantly. And I'm thinking to myself, is that what life is like without God? Where you just think, I'm here to work, eat, sleep, defecate, reproduce, and die. And the planets come and the stars come and go and who cares? And I'm thinking, what a sad, sad way to live life, if that's what you think life is. Because we were created to go to the feast. We were made. And the feast was kind of that thought thing that Jesus was going, when I create you and me, they're going to come to the feast and I'm going to invite everybody because I want everybody to come. But he knows that not everyone's going to come. And then we move on in the story and it says, but when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who is not wearing wedding clothes. And he said, friend, yes, how did you get in here without clothes? And the man was speechless. 
And I didn't know that I had not seen the drama before today, so I was watching it. And when um, Nina walked across, sorry, my memory blank. Nina walked across, and Jesus walked across, and Jesus handed her a garment to put on. This is exactly what this is talking about. Because it said the good and the bad are invited, which means pretty much, which means all of us. But we can't, I can't as a bad person stand in the presence of a holy God. That just does not, that just does not mix. So something has to change. And fortunately, when I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I meet Him, He gives me His cloak of righteousness. We see this in the prodigal son. When the prodigal son goes off, and he comes back, and he's practicing his speech, and that says, I'm not worthy to be in your presence, which is true. <clears throat> and, but, but, and he gets there, and, and God sees him a long way off, and runs to him, and he sees him in the state that he is in, and God tells the servants immediately, go get this man a new outfit. Go, go get him a change of clothes. <coughs> he cannot stay like this. Because if he's going to be with me, he's going to be dressed and clothed properly. He didn't say, son, you are poorly dressed. Get out of my face. Get out of my presence. He provides the garment. And God provides the garment for all the guests. Evidently, this guest thought it was appropriate for him to just keep on wearing the bad clothes that he wore to the wedding. Fortunately, I usually don't have to, I mean, when I go to something important, I have someone that picks out my clothes for me. And my wife is that person. I had to get this outfit approved before I could come here and it was a I did actually pick it but it was approved okay and so it's the same way with this wedding feast we are given garments of for back for a letter for lack of a better word goodness okay not goodness that we bring in because we actually can't come to the wedding with filthy rags <clears throat> but just like in the drama Jesus gives us his garments that are white as snow so we have the ability to be in God's presence and enjoy the banquet enjoy the fatted calf but then the, the story ends on somewhat of a sad note it says for many are invited but few are chosen many are invited but few choose to come to the wedding just like in verse 5 and, and 6 and 7 so, God, I think, would love it if this island wasn't big enough for the people that he wanted to be here today. But people had to choose to be here. You had to choose to set your alarm. You had to choose to come here on whatever public transportation or drive and park, whatever. You, you had to make a choice. The invitation is out there, and just like Jacqueline and Josiah and Rebecca made the choice that they want to be they want to be invited to the wedding. They chose to be baptized. It is a choice because God is a gentleman and he does not force himself on anyone.
but he sure makes his presence known if you're willing to look for him. Thank you so much for listening. God, thank you so much for the invitation that you've extended to all of us, the good and the bad, to those that um, that aren't looking, that you are constantly sending messengers and you are you surround us with your presence through the things that you've created and the love that we have through um, people that co-workers and family members that love us even though we don't deserve it thank you that you give us a garment that we can wear so we can be in your presence that it's not on our own good works that we get to come but it's because of who you are and the things that you've done that you sent the son that we can know that we've seen the Father because of the words that you that you've given to us through your through your Bible, and we're thankful that we can be here and honor you because now you we can honor you and sing to you and worship you because you are worthy of all that we can do or say, and and to show our gratitude through songs and through times alone when we are with you and through fellowship when we're with other people where we can rejoice in the fact that we have all been called and accepted the invitation that you've given out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.